The first time I ever heard mountain preacher Vance Havner preach, he started the message just like this. I love how he started the message because he perfectly captured the Pharisee's spirit when talking about evil. Listen for it. Here's how he started his message. He came to the podium and he said, the neighbor lady pulled me aside and wanted to tell me how wicked the world has come to be. And I saw the deep concern in her face and I looked at her and I said, look, what makes you say the world has achieved great heights in wickedness. Why, she said, it's obvious. Last night, somebody broke into our house and stole all of our Holiday Inn towels. (laughs) Now, it was playful how he started, but he got right to the point. You know, it's easy to come to a passage like Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 32, which is where we are this morning. Look out the door and say, I'll tell you what. The world is a wicked place. And in looking there, we have missed the mirror and what it is to see our own hearts before a God who is holy. Romans chapter 1 is a bit of a lightning rod chapter in the Bible, in God's treasury. It's actually a real bellwether measure, a bit of a litmus test. How will we respond to what's here this morning? Which side of the scale will we be on? Tell you what wicked world out there. Or... Will it be, God, give me grace to be delivered from my own sinful flesh? Yes, the passage directly speaks, among other things, and that's very important for you to notice, and us to notice together. Yes, the passage directly speaks to homosexuality. Today, it's at the forefront of many conversations, is it not? Francis Schaeffer, in a former generation, published with C. Everett Koop, a book entitled, I thought of its title this week, Whatever Happened to the Human Race? Well, something happened, and God lays it out in Romans chapter 1. It all happened beginning with the suppression of the truth of God that's self-evidently revealed in creation. And it just goes down after that. Really, this is the story of man's descent. It all happened, verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, beginning with a suppression of the truth. We've already looked at that. Now, my first five messages when God gave me the privilege of being at Calvary Baptist Church were opening Romans chapter 1 and working through the text of Romans chapter 1, word by word, in this very section. It was a deep dive into each verse. This morning, in light of that, 
And I know that there are two of you who remember that's where I started in 2015 in October when God gave me the privilege to begin. In light of that, I want to take nine verses, Romans 1, 24 to 32, all together this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to read from 1, 18 to 32, and I'm going to focus on where we left off last week, verses 24 to 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Hear the word of the Lord. I want to go four different directions this morning, not spending equal time in every direction. But first, I want to talk about three trades that mankind entered into in a blockbuster trade that led to the descent of humanity. And then, secondly, I want to look at God's response. Notice verse 18 begins with five sto- uh, seven stark words. For the wrath of God is revealed. Secondly, I want to look at God's judgment. Many of us only have one category of judgment. That is that God would zap them 
um, I want us to think differently about what Paul's describing in the judgment of God. Third, I want to look at what is true now about humanity, and that is this. We are full of what we wanted. And lastly, and most importantly, I want to talk about hope. Sin and our demise and our indulgence doesn't get the last word in gospel Christianity. God sent Jesus Christ. And that changed everything. Changed everything about our sin to everyone who will receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's our plan of attack. First, humanity's rebellion took the form of three blockbuster trades. Now, in the professional basketball league right now, there's a blockbuster trade of Bruin. For a while, the National Football League couldn't figure out what to do with Baker Mayfield, and they finally figured that out. Now, the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, he's gone off to some other team, the Titans, I believe. Now, the NBA is trying to figure out what they're going to do with Kevin Durant. And so there's a blockbuster trade of Bruin, and every once in a while there'll be a hint of this, or this, these three players and these four players and future draft picks and all the shuffling and reshuffling that are going on. Paul says humanity was involved in three blockbuster trades that led to this moment. And the key word here is going to be exchanged. Notice, look at verse 23. The word exchanged shows up. We exchanged this for that. Look at verse 25. Exchange this for that. Verse 26. That'll form the basis of the three subpoints of this. Humanity's rebellion took the form of three blockbuster trades. Number one, we traded the pursuit of God's glory for the pursuit of our idols. Verse 23, first use of the word exchange. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is last week's message. We won't go there, but just, that's the first blockbuster trade. You talk about a bad trade, trading the immortal, almighty God for created things. St. Augustine was right in the 5th century to write, our hearts are idol factories, just an assembly line of these God substitutes that we have a tendency to grab and just push God out of our lives. Bad trade headed us in a downward descent. Secondly, look at verse 25. Second time the verb exchange shows up there. Because they, here it is, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We traded God's truth for hell's lies. Satan the evil one, the promoter of evil. It is said of him in Revelation 12, 9 that he's a big deceiver. The devil, the deceiver of the whole world. John eight forty four describes him like this. He is a liar and the father of lies. Have you ever realized you've been lied to? And when you realize it, it's not one of the more pleasant realizations that we experience. I was told X when Y is what is true. I've been lied to. We've been lied to. 
We bought and bit hard on the first piece of bait Satan ever gave to humanity. He told Eve, you will not surely die. You're being lied to by God. You will not surely die if you break his command. What he was arguing and smuggling into her mind was a notion that we're actually quite fond of, and that is, there is no consequence for breaking the law of God. You you shall surely not die. That's a lie. We've been believing it ever, ever since. There are no consequences. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. We sow to the flesh, and the flesh will reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit will reap eternal life. We stopped allegiance to our very Creator and went after created things. We set up shrines that involved what He had created. We've believed a host of lies. Let me just number a few. Number one, we believe that unbridled desires will lead to our freedom. If we just throw off every boundary that the moralist Puritans have set up, then we would really experience freedom. Do you call this freedom that we are experiencing? This unbridled realization of our desires that's called addiction that's called bondage that's not freedom we believed other lies that sexual orientation and gender identity the four letters make an acrostic that's very much at the forefront of political thought in the public square right now soji sexual orientation and gender identities why they're decisions that we make They're not given to us by our creator. The Bible teaches that we are all made in the image of God, male and female. He created them. That our gender identity defines our sexual identity by God's plan. We don't have to make it up. There is a binary reality when it comes to gender. It's either male or female. Now what is true is that manifestations of gender are not the same. And there's not one stereotypically way to be a man. In that sense, if you can stand it and think clear through it, I probably shouldn't go here just maybe confusing you, but... There is a spectrum of men. I've run into uh, jobs stereotypically 100 years ago considered very much a, uh, I mean, let's take the farm. I've walked into milk houses before and I've I've seen ladies uh, slugging the work to milk the cows just right next to men. And um, it takes a particular kind of lady, but I've, I've seen it done. I've seen them in the barn doing doing great work and it's 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 good work and that that that's fine there's not one only way to be a woman and it's you know barbie of course uh then then there's not one way to be a man and it's it's kin you got to be be like that and um there is 
But there is a man and there is a woman and those genders are distinct and ordained by God and with them come God's plan for our sexuality. This uh, sex assigned at birth is not our gender. We sort our gender out. That's a sociological experiment that we're in the midst of that is contrary to our creator's intentions for us. Another lie we have believed is we are the best at determining the highest good for us. That the authority is not vested in our creator who for our good made and his glory made us and made us to relate to him and instructed us how to live. And he holds the authority because he is almighty God. No, we are almighty me. Who choose because of our authority or so the lie goes. What is best for us and what is our highest good. We've traded God's truth for hell's lies. Thirdly. And and, and let me say this. Same-sex attraction in our broken world is a real thing. Heterosexual temptation is a real thing. And God frames the boundaries and urges us and calls us and demands of us that we reckon ourselves dead, unresponsive, to sin, and alive unto Christ and his righteousness. And we need to help each other in this good way following Jesus, holding each other up and encouraging each other forward. And none of us, this gets back to holiday end towels, none of us are anything more than 20 minutes and a couple of decisions away from giving Jesus Christ a black eye because of how we live. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ and his grace. We hold on to him. The third trade in this blockbuster trade is we've traded God's natural plan for sexual function for twisted versions of our own imagination. Look at verse 26. The word exchanged shows up again. By the way, sexual desire is God-given, it's wholesome, and it's good. It is natural to desire intimacy. Our sexual life is to be governed by the laws of God. And there is a natural law, a natural order that comes with creation. He, having made us in his wisdom, male or female. Sam Albury, who is a gospel Christian rector of an Anglican church in England, who has been open, he's single, he's been open about his same-sex attraction, and yet his celibate life of holiness to honor our Lord said this, God has a right to say about what we should and shouldn't do with our bodies. Didn't he make them, by the way? 
and how it is we've come to see the goodness of what he says. There's a natural law that comes along with creation, made male and female. Our respective bodies, even anatomically, correspond to each other. The ends of our marriage, covenant, relationship, marriage, a biblical marriage, husband and wife, the ends of that intimacy together give rise when God allows to the perpetuation of the human race. This is the natural order, the God-ordained means for the perpetuity of the human race. Marital intimacy between husband and wife is natural, honorable, and good. In Hebrews 13, 4, and with uh, Shane and Faith Rusher, now Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Rusher getting married yesterday, and, and uh, Leah and Reed uh, getting married this afternoon, it's, it's, it's a wonderful Sunday to celebrate this verse. Uh, Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Hear the word of the Lord. Same-sex expression of intimacy according to this chapter. The word of God is unnatural, dishonorable, impure, and shame-engendering. Look at the text. Verse 26, dishonorable passions. Look at the text. Verse 27, contrary to nature. Look at the text. Shall we be driven by the text here at Calvary Baptist Church? Consumed with passion. Verse 27, shameless acts. There's even an, an intriguing line that addresses male homosexuality in describing the due penalty that comes. Male homosexuality is its own penalty. It is unspecified what that due penalty is. But these constructs are not natural from creation, nor are they healthy. Read the World Health Organization statement yesterday on monkeypox and its relationship to aberrant sexual behavior. Three horrible trades, a blockbuster trade that humanity made. We lost out in the exchange And what was God's response beginning of verse 18? Secondly, God judged us by giving us our heart's desire. Here we come to the three times that he says God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. God giving them over was the judgment. Now there's a big $6 word. It's a cool word. I like to say it, but nobody knows what it is. It's called talionic justice. It means justice perfectly fitting for the matter at hand. This is perfect talionic judgment. It's judgment that is fitting in the right kind. Uh, See, we have one category for judgment. That is, you know, uh, Korah's rebellion, the coup that Korah started against Moses. Well, how would you like to have been standing there when the ground opens up and swallowed Korah? A hush would have fallen over the crowd. The sentiment would have broken out. You know, 
I think we ought to follow Moses. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> that's the kind of, why don't God do that? I'll tell you, well, why don't God judge the world? You know, this, you know remember when uh, James and John were with Jesus and somebody wasn't very responsive to Jesus. They said, hey, hey, call down some lightning. As if, you know, God was up there just with a you know, predator drone, you know, just going, at, who can I zap today? Who can I zap today? We're missing the heart of God and his justice, and his goodness, and his mercy. By the way, whenever God deals with us in sin, it's always for the purpose with his arm around us to gently turn us back to himself. Because don't ever forget Romans 5.20, where sin does abound. Yeah, sin's abound. I'll tell you what's a wicked old world. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Look at what Paul is going to accent here. He gave them over. Sam Albury said, God giving us over, all that is, is to live the outcome of our sinful desires. You want this? You really want this? You think this is good for you? You think this is your highest good? Have at it. Go after it with all your might. And that's an expression of God's judgment. Because in the circumstances that pile up, that make our lives difficult. By the way, sin makes life difficult on purpose to turn our twisted hearts back to our Lord who all along desired to heal our wounds. He gives us over, verse 24, there's three things he gives us over to. Again, he gave them over, he gave them over, he gave them over. This is an expression of his judgment for the wrath of God. He releases us to the unbridled pursuit of our impure lusts. By the way, the word lust just means strong desire. It can be holy. A husband's strong desire for his wife, that's a holy Lust, we only think of lust as sinful. Uh, A beloved wife's desire for her husband. Here he releases us to the unbridled pursuit of our impure lust. This unbridled foray into the wild sexual blue yonder has not served us well. We aren't healthy sexually in a million different ways. Pornography is a great tragedy that is so twisted and violated men's conscience. It's terrible. The smartphone and technology has optimized our ability to be exposed to such ravaging indulgence. There are many sexless marriages. That's not how God intended it to be mutually satisfying, serving one another selflessly. Sexually transmitted diseases are rampant and common. So much so that the ways we've devised to treat them through the years are now breaking in in variants that are impervious to treatment. We are not healthy sexually. Why? It's an expression of the judgment of God. God's just led us over to ourselves. 
given us over to these wanton desires, it's not serving us well. Remember, it was said of Satan in John 10 that he seeks to maim, kill, and destroy. Remember, it was said of Jesus, I come that you might have life, that you might really live. What a Savior. Secondly, he released us to unnatural and dishonoring desires. Look at verse 26. God created life and ordained an honoring way to live by his righteous standards. And the stewardship of our body matters to God. He made it. He gave it to us. Remember his argument in 1 Corinthians 6 uh, when Corinth was just a tragic place of debauchery. Don't visit prostitutes. That's contrary to the way of following Jesus. Why, Paul? Because your body is to temple the Holy Spirit. Why would you be a consort in that way with another? That's not making the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, feel welcome in your life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 talks about caring for the body. In fact, the old King James phrase is vessel. Take care of your vessel. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Hear the word of the Lord. Notice the term self-control, handling ourselves honorably. Are we teaching our young? Are we teaching ourselves? Are we teaching the old? How to conduct life in a way that is honoring to our Lord, honoring to our own body, and one characterized by self-control. I fear we haven't gotten very far in teaching young people how to steward their body. Oh, in old fundamentalism, we got as far as, hey, don't drink. Hey, don't smoke. You don't want to give the Holy Spirit emphysema. He's living within you. You know, that's about as far as we got. But stewarding, stewarding our body sexually throughout all of our lives. You know, before I got into my 60s, uh, a mentor and friend who, you know, 40 years of conversation about how to live for our Lord, he put his arm around me. He says, Eric, you're coming to a season of your life where you need to watch your back. What? He said, it's amazing. You've been married for a number of years. You have intimate experience. You get to this season of your life. Your body's in a different place. Your wife's body's in a different place. Your mind's in the same place. And you've got to be careful with how you steward your thoughts. It was a great and good warning that I needed, and we need it too. All of our days, there's solicitations for walking off the grid away from Jesus. And he gives grace to help to keep us going. Finally, he releases us to develop a degenerate mind. Where is your mind this morning? Where is mine? How is it shaped by the word of God? They did not see fit to acknowledge God. Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled. 
That verb filled is a fascinating verb. It's one that describes past action with abiding results. So it's not like a passing thought. It's, it's a dominating, character-defining way to think. All manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's a mind giving no thought of God. It literally reads, if you'd read it, as Paul wrote it, just pedantically looking at the stems of the words. It literally says this, he does not think having God in his thoughts. God is the farthest thing from his mind. He does not live with the consciousness that on the great day, one shall give a report for everything we've done in the body. A godless life. Well, that's what God's given us over to. Thirdly, humanity is now full of what God gave them over to. We have an English phrase, of course, you're full of it. Now, by the way, there is another colorful form. I thought it to be inappropriate, but you're full of it. It's true. We are full of it. We're full of sin. Notice the effect sin has on how we relate. Two things. Humanity now advocates for sinful practices. Look at verse 32. Adam's children are now missionaries for indulgence, supporters, activists. We give approval to those who act in such ways. We have grown accustomed to rebellion against God so much so that it seems right. It's a fascinating day that we've stumbled upon that now morals, a Judeo-Christian ethic, they're viewed as an expression of power. That, the, that the, the powerful are exercising over the powerless by defining these boundaries for our good in behavior. So now, secondly, humanity is brimful of unrighteousness. Eric, I'll tell you what. You preachers are all alike. You are making sexual sin the focus. No, wait a minute. Notice how broad a brush Paul paints here. This is a lot wider than sexual sin. It's not any less than that, but it's so much more than that. Notice the whole index is here. By the way, did you know what that index does to how people relate? You want to tear up a relationship, just throw some sin in the midst of the relationship and you'll tear the relationship apart. Sin destroys how people relate. In that sense, if you've gone through the tragedy of cancer, the difficulty of cancer, you know this. Cancer, when its cells multiply, it's called metastatic cancer or cancer that's growing, that go to another system in your body. Uh, That cancer has metastasized is the word. Well, sin's like that. And when we got involved in this blockbuster trade, sin just starts breaking out. And you do this generation after generation, and you come to that catalog in verses 32, verse 29. Filled is the word. Our minds, our hearts, our world is filled with this stuff. And it's broken down, 
how we relate. Now, what's interesting is there's a super big contrast here. Remember when Paul was describing the glory of the good news about Jesus, and he said this, the gospel is full of revealing the righteousness of God. What a contrast to humanity who's full of unrighteousness. On the one hand, the gospel full of righteousness, ready to be given to us by a gift simply by receiving Jesus Christ. On the other hand, humanity, we're full of it, full of unrighteousness. Well, let's finish talking about hope. I want you to turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's a very important word that we need to have from the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 6. Hope into these dark streets shineth God's everlasting gospel. God's gospel, 1-1. One, one. Into these dark streets shineth the everlasting life. Jesus Christ himself. There's a great difference, and this is very important. I want you to get this. There's a great difference between God giving us up and God giving up on us. He has done the former because that's what we've wanted. He has not at all done the latter. In fact, what was God's response? He poured out his wrath upon us. Is that the end of story? No. Then he ran after us in Jesus Christ. He came for us. He hasn't given up on us. As long as we live, God is pursuing us. He loves us. And we get insight into the church of Corinth in this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Listen to how the Pharisee amens. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Amen! That's right, preacher. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Preach it! Nor idolatry. Yes! Nor adultery. Yes! Nor men who practice homosexuality. Yes! With an exclamation mark. Nor thieves nor the greedy, nor the drunkards. Yeah, preach it. Nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But it doesn't end there. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. God can wash us and make us new. Then we can be positioned by God's gospel to glorify God. We honor him. We give thanks. Back to verse 21. We worship and serve the creator. Back to verse 25. These dark places that we go are not places from which we cannot escape. Praise be to God. Notwithstanding his wrath who reaches for us to make us new in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, you know every heart here. You know where we've been. And there's no place to be like the foot of the cross where the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And Lord, this message is painful for some to listen to because... We remember where we've been. Oh God, just take us back to the cross where you resolved that sin in such a way 
that before we were ever born, Jesus said, it is finished. It's resolved. The debt has been paid. Oh, Father, teach us not to be ashamed of your way of life, but to pick it up and take it as our own. And as a church family, to help each other and encourage each other, hold each other up. And when we fall down, pick each other up and walk forward. Just sing an amazing grace. It's amazing. Sing into the mercy of God. What we get that keeps us from what we deserve. Sing into the grace of God, which is what we get that we don't deserve. Sing into the glory of a sweet Savior, Jesus, who took down all of our sin, every lick of it, every bit of it. Now, Lord, what do you want to hear from our hearts? Listen to us as we pray silently. And Jay, just plays through this song that we're going to sing in just a moment. Hear our prayers. Deal with us. And Father, I pray for those who are here who have a broken heart because someone they love is indulgently involved in sin. Bind up the brokenhearted and remind them that while we live, you pursue us and that you're hearing their prayers. Minister. I pray for those who are brought to a vivid memory of dark places where they've been. Run to them and pick them up and whisper in their heart where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on and keeps on and keeps on cleansing us from sin. Lord, for others who've never come to Jesus and they come on this Sunday where we're going through Romans 1 and they just say, I want the life that Jesus has brought to humanity. Jesus, this morning, I receive you understanding I'm a sinner and you are a savior. Be merciful and enter my life. May this be the morning they'd begin We'd smile and remember this Sunday, the last one in June in 2022. Remember that, Eric, I came to follow Jesus. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We love you. How needy we are. Hear us as we pray. What a healer you are, Lord. What a redeemer. All we've ever done is made a mess of our lives. And all you ever did was send Jesus to make us whole. We love you. We celebrate Jesus this morning at Calvary Baptist Church. In his name I pray, amen. Let's stand and let's sing before we leave.